I invite you to reach for your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians, starting with chapter 1 in our scripture reading this morning. If you don't have a Bible, uh, please utilize the Pew Bible that's right there in front of you. And uh, it's on page 1164. And as we continue in our series through the book of Philippians, this morning we're going to look at the role of men and women in ministry. As perhaps some of you may know, there's much confusion, there's a lot of debate, and let's be honest, outright rejection of what God's Word teaches when it comes to this issue, not only in our culture, but also in our churches. In fact, our leadership council has been diligently studying the role of men and women in the church from God's perspective in the scriptures. In fact, we began the study pre-COVID, then COVID hit, so we had to take a pause, and now we have picked it up, and we have been meeting almost every Saturday here in the month of June and July to go through God's word and see what he has to say on this issue. So this morning, Pastor Chris is going to be sharing some of the fruit of that study from the examples of men and women in the church of Philippi, which we have seen throughout this series. And so follow along as I read, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1, where Paul writes, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. And then if you go to chapter 2, beginning in verse 25, Paul says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, Therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And then if you go over to chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, and looking again at verses 2 and 3, where Paul says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Oh, do we thank you for the revelation of your word the truth that you have revealed to us. And so the word that we hold in our hands, whether it's a a paper copy, a digital copy, Lord, we recognize it as coming from you through the inspired writings of the various authors. And so, Lord, as we look here in the book of Philippians, open our minds and our hearts to your truth on this issue of men and women as we partner together for the advance of the gospel. Lord, we commit to remaining true and standing fast in your word and in your truth as a church body here at LifeBridge. So now use Pastor Chris. Speak through him and use him as he opens up the word and speaks to us this morning. Amen. You be seated. 
Glad you are here this morning, and uh, please keep your Bibles open here at LifeBridge. We want you to see the sermon in the Scriptures, and as Pastor Bruce alluded, we are looking at these two women in particular, Euodia and Syntyche, these two women, and here's what I want to start with is this statement about these two women. They are two women who seemingly cannot escape controversy. Two women who seemingly cannot escape controversy. From the scripture reading, you may be thinking, this is deja vu all over again. And you are right. Pastor Bruce addressed this passage and dealt with the main message of this passage, which is how to resolve conflict in the church. And these two verses are so rich in gospel wisdom regarding reconciliation that in at least two times in the life of our church, I've taught an entire series on these women called Take the Journey. And it's true that these two women are somewhat infamous for their conflict with one another that threatened the unity of the church at Philippi. In fact, one pastor renamed Yodia and Syntyche as You're Odious and Sure Touchy. And uh, while that's somewhat humorous, it's really unfair to these ladies. Why? Because Paul gives them high praise in these two verses. And while I'm confident that these godly and faithful women resolved their conflict with one another with the help of Paul's true companion. Unfortunately, in light of the increasing division over the role of women in the church and in ministry, these two women have been dragged back into controversy. I just imagine them there in the presence of of Jesus and saying, really, we're already in scripture for our own controversy. Do we have to be drugged into another one when we're here in heaven already? And what is that controversy that they're drugged into? Well, it's this. It's the debate over the role of women and men in ministry. And there's two basic positions to this issue. And so I want to give you those definitions right up front because I'm using these terms and that way you know what I'm referring to. The one position is called egalitarian. And egalitarians claim that all believers, without regard to gender, ethnicity, or class, must exercise their God-given gifts with equal authority and equal responsibility in the church, that is ministry, in the home, that is marriage, and in the world. Emphasis on equality. Egalitarian means that. Equal in authority, equal in responsibility. Therefore, according to egalitarians, coming to these two women in our passage this morning, they would presume that they are leaders with authority over the church. In the Philippian church, they would say these two women, and they do say, are partnering with men with equal responsibilities and equal roles and equal authority. The other view, the view that our church holds to, is complementarian. Complementarians say this, men and women are equal in value, worth, dignity, in the image of God, but they have differing roles in the home, marriage, and in the church, in ministry. 
While both are gifted for service in the church, the office and function of pastors are limited to men according to Scripture. And I would emphasize qualified men, not just any men. It's not just gender that qualifies you. It's godly character according to key passages. Now, why this message now? Well, let me give you three reasons that uh, Bruce has already partially alluded to. First of all, there's radical controversy in our culture and our churches. And it's not getting less, it's getting more. And it's impacting even two uh, of our partner organizations, the Southern Baptist Convention and the Baptist Bible Fellowship. So this is ramping up, and it's something that we need to go to the Scriptures and see from God's perspective. Secondly, the doctrinal study that Bruce mentioned regarding our leadership council. These guys are giving up their Saturday mornings. I keep telling Jerry, I promise it will be better than sleeping in. And that is a high bar. I realize that. And so that's what we're aiming for. We are observing the, the key passages, interpreting them together, praying over them, and seeking to apply them and align our church with them. And then third, a practical opportunity in this sermon series. These two women are always dragged into the controversy by egalitarians as an example of women leaders, pastors, apostles with authority over the church. And so since we're in this series, let's address this topic. Now, what are the goals for this message? Let me give you three basic goals to get your mind around. Number one, we want to celebrate this morning. We want to celebrate how these Two women are godly examples of complementarity and are not merely women in conflict, troublemakers that need a man to come in and straighten them out. And unfortunately, that's kind of their reputation. You know, women, they cause problems. You know that, and you've got to have a man sitting in there to straighten them out. That's not what this is just about. Well, it's not about that at all. But it is about conflict, okay? It is about conflict, not related to gender. Yes, Bill, you're laughing way too much. But what is about this message is to notice the high praise that Paul lavishes freely, joyfully on these women. Number two, clarify clarify why there is no reason based on what Paul actually says to justify the speculation by egalitarians that these women are pastors, elders, or preachers in the gathered assembly of the church. I want to clarify that for you this morning from the Word of God. Three, challenge. I want to see God's word in his spirit through the preaching of his word, to challenge us as a church to remain true to God's glorious design for man and woman in Christ. Why? Why? So that we can partner together to advance the gospel as God designed it and as God intended it. This is what's at stake, is our partnership, and that's the theme of this book. We partner together to advance the gospel, including male and female in Christ. And so what I want to do is give you four reasons from this passage, four reasons why we can celebrate the complementarity of men and women in Christ in ministry. And so let's look at that first cause for celebration. First of all, it is the presence of women and men in the church. 
the presence of men and women, women and men in the church. So look around right now and let us celebrate the presence of women and men in our church right now. Now, this may seem obvious to us, but that's often part of the problem. We take one another for granted. But Paul is not shy about recognizing the presence of women in the local church and in his ministry. And in these two verses, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, Paul identifies two women by name who were not only present in the church at Philippi, but must have been greatly appreciated and were women of, of terrific influence in the church. Otherwise... How could their interpersonal conflict, whatever the cause, cause division in the church if they weren't also highly respected in the church? These women were known and appreciated by God's people as saints of God whose names were written down in the book of life. You see that in verse 3. And according to Philippians 1.1, these women were part of all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. When Paul says all the saints, that includes male and female. That included Iodia and Syntyche. In fact, we know from Acts 16 that when the church was first planted in Philippi, the first people to hear the gospel in Europe was a group of women with no men present. In Acts 16, Paul's uh, print, uh, Paul's strategy for for missions was to go to the synagogue in Philippi. There, you had to, you, in in all across Judaism, you had to have at least ten men to form a synagogue. There wasn't one in Philippi. There weren't ten ten converts to Judaism, and so he goes to the river because they would also often form prayer uh, meetings by the river if there wasn't a synagogue, and there he finds a group of women, and there he preaches the gospel. And in Acts 16, the very first convert on European soil to Christianity is a woman by the name of Lydia, which we should celebrate and we should get excited about. Here's how Paul puts it. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. More than likely, this is a single or widowed lady who is uh, a woman of in, uh, material influence, owns a home. She is the first convert, and more than likely, the church first met in her home with women who were converted at that time. In fact, as you continue to read Acts 17, you find that there were many leading women, is how Luke describes it, who came to Christ, not only in Philippi, but in Thessalonica and in Berea. Furthermore, in his letters to the churches, Paul mentions 17 believing women who were ministry partners with him by name. Yet, at the same time, we need to recognize he also mentions far more men than women. To the 17 believing women he mentions, there's 55 believing men, a ratio of 3 to 1 in his ministry. Nevertheless, 
Nevertheless, Paul celebrates the presence of women in God's churches and gospel ministry. Paul is happy to celebrate that the names of both Yodia and Syntyche are written down in God's book of life. And why does he want to celebrate that, folks? Why is that? Not merely because of their gender, but because of God's grace to save anyone, whether Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free, whoever you are this morning, God's grace is sufficient to save you by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to God's glory alone. You see, God is in the business of saving sinners regardless of their gender, their nationality, their ethnicity. Why? Because we are one race, the human race. And we are all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. And out of the diverse depravity of humanity, God wants to create unity as one body in Christ. Amen. That is good. So what? So what is that for us? Well, the presence of women in our church is a good thing. In fact, it's a very good thing, according to our Creator, Redeemer, King. In Genesis 2, when there was just a single man, and that was the only human, a man, God for the first time says, this is not good. And then after creating woman out of the side of Adam, not his feet to be dominated by him, not his head to rule over him, but his side to partner with him, the creator says for the first time that all that he has made is very good. What was true in the beginning of creation is still true today in redemption through Christ. The presence of women in the church is very good, and it should be celebrated. Adam responded to Eve by saying in the words of Pastor Tyrone, triple, wow, 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 Woo! look at her. And that's how we should respond to women in the church. Someone who is like us and equal to us and yet different from us. And all men say, yes, thank you, Lord. Listen, if you're here this morning, and you are a woman. God created you as a woman and celebrates that you are a woman and will save you to become a godly woman in our church. If you're here this morning and you're confused about your gender and you're struggling with your identity as a person, whether male or female this morning, your creator knows you better than you know yourself, and he will help you sort out any gender confusion you may have. But most of all, most of all, what he wants, God the Father wants to shower his love upon you, and he wants to cleanse you of your sins, and he wants to create in you a new heart that loves him and is eager to follow his son. In all things. You see, our Creator God loves to bring order out of confusion. He loves to bring light out of darkness, peace out of guilt, and holiness out of sinfulness. So here's the bottom line on this first point. It's easy to overlook and take for granted women in the Bible as you read it. Women in our church 
as we worship together, and even women in our lives. And instead of doing that, overlooking and ignoring, we should take note of their presence in the Bible. We should take note of their presence in our church and in our lives. And let's thank God that he saves both men and women for our good and for his glory. So that's the first to celebrate. The second is this. We should celebrate the peace between women and men in the church. Celebrate peace between women and men in the church. The kind of peaceful fellowship is the main focus of this passage. And we learned that in the previous message on it. Look again at verse 2 and let's read it together. Look at it in your Bibles. I urge Yodia and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Now, yes, these two women are saints in the Lord, but their na- and their names are written down in the book of life, but they are also sisters here on earth in the church. And so the old saint does prove true. To live above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with saints we know, well, that's a different story. And they have shown us that. And yet they are sisters in Christ. Now, we're not going to linger long on this particular point, but what I want to emphasize here is this. Women are not merely saved to be saints. They are also sisters to one another and to the men in the church. And so right now, let's cue up Sister Sledge, who got it half right. We are family. I've got all my sisters in me. Yeah, there's a reason why I'm not on the praise team. I get that. But listen, we are family. Get up, everybody, and sing. And they were right, except they were half right. We are family. We've got all my sisters and my brothers with me. Regardless of what Yodia and Syntyche were fighting about, here is the timeless principle for God's family. We are family. And because we're family, we live in harmony in the Lord. Now, how does that peace between male and female in Christ come about? Well, let me give you two simple, practical principles. The first is this. Treat one another as brothers and sisters in God's family. Treat one another as brothers and sisters in God's family. Now, notice what Paul says before he gets into these verses. Look at... Verse 1, look at chapter 4. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren. And that's in the plural. And he's not just talking to the brothers. He's talking to the brothers and the sisters, including Yodia and Syntyche. And they are all beloved. And they are all a part of the family of God. And therefore, some of your English translations will actually translate that accurately as beloved brothers and sisters. But if you go to the last chapter of, uh, or the last verses of chapter 4, in verse 21, as Paul's writing his closing, he says this, he, he, he sends the greetings from the brethren with me. And several English translations, I think, rightly translate that, the brothers that are with me. So you have to look at the context. Does it include male and female? as brothers and sisters, or does it merely include brothers or just sisters? Now, 
You say, why is this important? Are you just pulling this out? No. Listen to what Paul says to young Timothy, what to do in a church at Ephesus. In 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, he says this to Timothy. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, to the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. What is he saying there? He's simply applying this truth. He's saying, Timothy, when you're in the church, you're in the family of God, and you treat women and men as brothers and sisters, older as father and mother, younger as brothers and sisters. And yet we all know that even in the best of families, family members can go sideways, just as these two women did. And so the second principle is this. Forgive one another just as God in Christ forgives you. And so if you take these two principles, male and female in Christ can live in harmony in the Lord. And we should renew our mind with this mindset. In fact, we should seek to protect peace between women and men. And so let me give you two principles on that. Protect peace between women and men. Men are just as likely to cause disunity as a, as women. And so when you come to this passage, they are these two ladies are not being called out because of their gender. They're being called out because of their disunity, okay? And so men are just as likely to cause disunity as women. Women aren't any more prone to sin than men are. God does not put qualified men in charge of his church because they are any less prone to sin or any less likely to disrupt the fellowship of his church. In other words, we are all equal opportunity rebels against God. Okay. Second principle, men are to live in harmony in the Lord. And so listen to me very clearly. Men, listen. As brothers, we are to be in peaceful fellowship with our sisters in the Lord. Women, as sisters, you are to be in peaceful fellowship with your brothers in the Lord. Brothers, the family of God has no room for chauvinism or machismo. Sisters, the family of God has no room for feminism or liberation theology. The family of God has no room for toxic masculinity or toxic femininity. And they do both exist, both outside of the church and unfortunately sometimes within the church. The family of God has no room for male domination or female manipulation. There's no room for male passivity or female aggression. There's no room, there is no space where verbal, emotional, physical, or sexual abuse is tolerated, excused, or allowed in the family of God. So we are in the Lord. And that's no small phrase there. We are in and under the lordship, the loving lordship of Jesus Christ. 
as man and woman in Christ. And there is to be peace among us as sisters and brothers. And let me just give you this principle. I use it all the time in premarital and postmarital counseling. The more we draw and grow into the Lord, the closer we come together. You take a husband and wife that are distant and in conflict, as each one submits to the Lord who is here over all, they automatically come closer to him. They come closer to each other. And the same principle is true in the church. As men and women in Christ, as we submit to the design of God and the lordship of Christ, as we grow under his, under his lordship, we come closer to God's design for man and woman, brothers and sisters. So in Christ, in Christ, peace between women and men in the church is to be facilitated by family fellowship and family forgiveness. But there's a third, there's a third truth to celebrate in this passage, and it's this, the pattern for men and women in the church, the pattern for women and men in the church. Yodia and Syntyche were not simply saved to be saints and sisters. They were also saved to strive together with their fellow members in the local church at Philippi. Look again at verse 3 in your Bibles. Indeed, true companion, I ask that you will help these women, and notice, who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. Now that phrase shared my struggle, is one Greek word, and it means to strive, to stretch, to struggle, to strain, together, emphasize together to advance the gospel. Paul is making it clear that just like in the Olympics that just started in a swim team relay or any other team in the, in the competition of the Olympics, they come together and they strive and they strain for one reason, to get that gold medal. And we are to strive for one reason, to advance the gospel to the unreached. Now listen, boom, right here, right here is where egalitarians want to say that these two women must have been apostles, just like Paul. They must have been pastors in the church at Philippi. They must have preached and led with authority over the church as part of the elders mentioned in Philippians 1.1. But don't take my word for it. Let's listen to egalitarians in their own words. Here's what Linda Belleville an egalitarian scholar says about these two women. They partnered with Paul in preaching the gospel as well as in leading the congregation. She goes on to say their role, quote, clearly involves leadership. And that Euodia and Syntyche were, quote, leaders of the Philippian church and evangelists alongside of Paul. Another egalitarian scholar, and, and, and these are all, uh, uh, as far as we, I know, professing believers. Uh, some are even evangelicals. They're going to be in heaven with us. We don't, we don't uh, condemn them for their view, but we look at the scripture to see who's right and what to believe. And here's what Gordon Fee, another egalitarian scholar, says. He claims that when Paul addresses his letter to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. That's Philippians 1.1 that we have read. 
He may have mentioned overseers, which is a similar word, the same function as pastors, elders, and overseers. He may have mentioned overseers, quote, because two of them were women who were not seeing eye to eye on things. In other words, he mentions them because Yodia and Syntyche are elders or pastors in the church. And it goes even farther. Another feminist egalitarian says this, and I quote, suggests that Yodia and Syntyche were a, quote, missionary couple possibly living together in a union parallel to that of husband and wife missionary couples. What you think they are saying, they are saying. Now, where are they getting this? And where are they seeing this in the text? They are reading their presuppositions about women pastors into the text, and they are speculating about the text instead of surrendering to what the text actually says. Does Paul shower high praise on these women? Yes, Yes, he says, they have shared in my struggle for the cause of the gospel. But high praise does not equal high position in the church. So let me give you two problems with these egalitarian claims. Believe me, there are many, but here's two. Number one, Paul never says any of these things. Paul just never says any of these things. So here's a basic Bible interpretation of what Paul says. He says what he says, and that's all he says. Or as one egalitarian student actually correctly and rightly observed, you can't know what you can't show. You can't know what you can't show from the Scriptures. We can't say exactly many things of what these women were doing. We can only know what we can show, which is my intent in this message. Number two, Paul says the same thing about the entire church. Paul says the same thing about the entire church. Look at Philippians 1.27. Turn your Bibles to Philippians 1.27, and Paul addresses the entire church, and he says this. Philippians 1.27, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, and here's what he says, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, and here's the word, exact same word, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, what's the point? Was the entire church... Apostles, just like Paul? No. The entire church, all elders? No, we know that there were elders and deacons and then all the saints. Was the entire church having the same gifts, the same roles, and the same authority? Of course not. And yet they all were striving together for the cause of the gospel. All Paul is saying about these two women is this. Just like He wanted the entire membership of the church to strive together to advance the gospel. These two female members of the church had already done so right by his side. Now, 
D.A. Carson, a Bible scholar, puts it this way. They were not passive spectators, these two women. They were actively involved participants who struggled and suffered along with Paul to advance the gospel in the face of harsh opposition. So again, I say to you, did they deserve high praise? Yes, yes, yes. And many women in our church do as well. But high praise before the church is not the same as high position in the church. We don't know for certain what these women did in the gospel ministry. We don't know how they ministered the gospel with Paul. We don't know to whom they ministered the gospel. But what we do know is this. The text clearly says, these godly women struggled and strived with Paul to advance the gospel ministry. And what we do know is that when we compare Scripture with Scripture, Paul says about these two women, what Paul says about these two women, fits the pattern of women and men in ministry that's found in the rest of Paul's letters, that's found in the Gospels, in Jesus' ministry, and is found in church history, the book of Acts, all the way up to our present day. So let me quickly give you what is the pattern when you compare Scripture with Scripture. Here it is. The ministry pattern, by God's design and for our good, is this. Jesus as the head of the body, God as the master of his household, the local church, has so arranged the church that only qualified men are approved to be servant leaders as pastors, elders, and overseers. Only qualified men are appointed to be leaders over the church, but not just any kind of leaders, servant leaders. Servant, humble, Christ-like, loving sacrificial leaders just like Jesus, who had all authority and led, but he led as a servant. But also, there's a second office of the church. Qualified men and women, I believe, are appointed to be leading servants. Get the order right. Leading servants as deacons. And I have the passages there for you. I think of pastors, elders, I think of qualified men, who are servant leaders. When I think of deacons, I think of men and even women who are appointed by the church to be leading servants. And so you can see that servant leaders are only set apart, uh, are appointed only by qualified men or appointed as servant leaders. But because being a deacon is a servant-orientated ministry in the church. In fact, the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 for for an elder or pastor includes able to teach, and the qualifications for a deacon does not include that, because deacons did not lead and preach with authority over the church or to the church. And therefore, both men and women can qualify if they meet the qualifications. So here's what I want you to see. Spiritual gifts are given to all of God's people regardless of gender. So, young people, coming back from camp, you may have the gift of teaching. You may have the gift of leading. You may have the gift of managing. 
hospitality, serving, caring, all these gifts. All genders can have that. But, all, but you minister that gift within God's pattern so that you minister as a, as a lady theologian to other women and to the children in our church. And as men, you can minister and be appointed as a pastor who's qualified to teach the church. Now, having said that, let me say this. There's no doubt that Yodia and Syntyche had considerable godly influence as active members in their church. Were they servant leaders as pastors and elders? Definitely not. That would go against the passages in 1 Timothy and Titus. After all, one of the qualifications is a pastor must be the husband of one wife. You say, well, maybe he was just using that. No, there's a Greek word for the wife of one husband that he uses later in Timothy. So when he's looking at elders, he says, look, you've got to be a man, but you've got to be a qualified man. Now, were these ladies, were these women leading servants? Were they deaconesses? Well, they could possibly be. They were included in the elders and deacons that are addressed in Philippians 1.1. But we don't know because Paul doesn't say. The pattern is this. Qualified godly men are to be pastors, elders, overseers, leaders, preachers, teachers to the gathered assembly with godly women of equal worth in God's eyes with diverse gifts. Are they come alongside and advance the gospel through their ministry to other women and to other and to children as well. Now, this is seen really from Genesis to Revelation. And here's what I want to say to us as a church. The pattern of women and men in the church needs to be celebrated and replicated here at LifeBridge, in our own church. Listen to me, listen to me. And I know Bruce would agree. As pastors, we would be dead in the water without godly women who lead the various ministries to other women and children, from the nursery to children's church, who teach and disciple other women of all ages and stages who help manage the church office and help lead the finance team and help the missions commission here at LifeBridge. So let's just stop and let's celebrate them, can we? Can we just, just give the women leaders in our church, and not just the leaders, all who struggle side by side to advance the gospel. And so there's one final truth that I want us to celebrate out of this passage, and it's everything has been leading to this, and it's this. The partnership with women and men in the church. The partnership with women and men in the church. Euodia and Syntyche were not simply saved to be saints and sisters, who struggled with other members. No, they were fellow servants who partnered together with Paul in the work of advancing the gospel through evangelism, through discipleship, and even missions. Paul not only celebrates that these women had struggled like he wanted all church members to do, but he also celebrates 
that they were fellow workers with him. Look at uh, Philippians 4, 3 again. He says, they shared in my struggle, but notice, together with Clement, also the rest of my fellow workers. There's the key word, fellow workers or co-workers. And boom, once again, egalitarians jump on this. And they want to say that these two women, if they were co-workers, they must have been exactly like Paul. They must have had the same role of apostle, or they were elders, they were pastors. They had the same authority in leading over the church. And why do they say this? Because Paul calls them his fellow workers. And he, if he called them his fellow workers, they must have done the exact same things in the exact same ways, to the exact same people that he did. After all, didn't Paul call Timothy a fellow worker and he was a preacher? And doesn't he call Titus and Barnabas fellow workers? And didn't they preach and lead over the church? Well, the answer is, yeah, they did. But let me give you two problems again with this egalitarian claim. And the first is this. All God's people are to be fellow workers. All God's people, not just ordained men, not just certain genders, but all God's people are to be fellow workers. And that still doesn't mean they have the same gifts or the same function in the church. Kim, Adrian, is our fellow worker with Bruce and myself in the church. But that doesn't mean she fulfills the same roles and has the same authority or is going to preach next week. Gwen and her team are fellow workers to advance the gospel over in Children's Church with our male pastors. But that doesn't mean that she preaches and leads the entire congregation as a pastor. Darla with her team of fellow workers in the nursery. Christy is a fellow worker to advance the gospel even in cleaning our church or Brian in cutting our grass. They are fellow workers to advance the gospel with differing gifts and roles and authority. Even Bruce and I as fellow pastors do not fill the exact same role or functions with the same level of authority and responsibility. And that is what this word means here. It simply means, it means worker. Man, I can't wait to get that title. You know, I mean, this isn't a highfalutin where you get this title, then you get to rule over everybody. No, you get to, you get to work. You get to labor. You get to help. You get to be a part of the community block party. You get to do discipleship. You get to teach theology, woman to woman, man to man. You get to lead within the ministries that God has designed. Now, I do believe, I will say this, I do believe that fellow workers has a special biblical connection to the work of evangelism, discipleship, and missions. But it's done through a variety of gifts. So let me say this point. Some fellow workers are missionaries and are sent to support missions and yet still not be pastors or preachers in the church. Some fellow workers are directly and especially involved with evangelism and discipleship and missions. In fact, did you know in 3 John verse 8, the Apostle John says that you can be a fellow worker with God by simply supporting missions? 
See, you can be a fellow worker and just financially support missions. Or you can get involved. Do you know that famous godly married couple, Aquila and Priscilla, were called Paul's uh, fellow workers? Does that mean Priscilla led the church and preached? No. What did they do? They opened their homes in three different geographical locations so that their home may be a place for evangelism and discipleship and missions to take place. And as we read in Philippians 2.25, Epaphroditus was called a fellow worker in chapter 2, verse 25. And Paul says, what, and Paul tells us in this case what his function was. As a fellow worker, he was sent to be a messenger from the Philippian church to Paul in prison, and he was sent to be a servant, same word for deacon, he was sent to be a servant to Paul because when you were in prison like that, you, that you weren't fed three meals. You had, were dependent on others to feed and provide for you. So you see, a fellow worker can be many things to advance the gospel. You can be support mission, personnel in missions. So let me wrap up with this. Paul's ministry team had both men and women But there is no evidence in the New Testament that he ever appointed a woman to be a pastor teacher or an elder or an overseer or had them preach and teach to the gathered assembly as I'm doing now. Instead, they were partners together according to God's pattern for man and woman in Christ. Listen, it's a fact. Ladies, it's a fact. If you go on strike... Every church in America is probably going to shut their doors next week. And when it comes to missions, missions never would have advanced without the sacrifices of women. And so I want to close with this quote from the latest edition of the Evangelical Missions Quarterly. And it says this, Women have always been on the cutting edge of the church's advance. It is calculated that two-thirds of modern mission force are women. This has been the case since the modern era of Protestant missions began with the Moravians. Again, one wonders where missions would be today if it were not for the selfless service of women. And it's true. So, Lightbridge, let's, let's partner together as woman and man in Christ. While egalitarians read too much in these passages, too often complementarians see not enough in these passages. Because regardless of who you are, there's joy in being what the Creator created you to be. And there is joy in doing what Christ has commanded us So with your heads bowed, and and let's bow our hearts before God. And as the praise team comes up here, let's think about this. And there's just two thoughts. I just want you to settle your mind and heart on two thoughts. And it's this. Celebrate God's design for men and women in Christ who complement and complete one another in marriage and in ministry. Let's celebrate that. Let's celebrate a creator who knows how he created us, who made humanity 
male and female in his image. And then let's commit right now, let's commit as a church, we're going to remain true to Christ's pattern for his church, and we're going to do it by God's grace so that we can advance the gospel. We're going to do it because God's community is different from our culture. He's, we're going to do it because this is God's creation design restored in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we just come and we just acknowledge that apart from you, we are confused and struggle and rebel and we sin. But you have come to show us the way. You have come to show us true humanity, true masculinity that attracted women. Women felt safe and drawn to you. They, you treated them with dignity and worth and value, and yet there were distinctive roles even in your ministry. And so, Lord, guide our church, guide our, our singles, guide our married couples, guide young and old, May we partner together to advance the gospel in Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate that so much. Before we are dismissed here in a minute, I just want to invite you, encourage you, and plead with you as a church body here at LifeBridge to to pray for our leadership council as we continue our study on this particular topic on, on Saturdays here in the month of August and even in September. And uh, it's our goal as a church body and uh, as your pastor to lead our church in a manner where we are true to the word of God when it comes to men and women in the church, and especially in the gathered assembly of our worship service. And that's our desire, and that's our um, our. Are what we want to do. We feel God leading us, uh, especially as Pastor Chris and myself, along with the men on our leadership council. And we'll share more of this, of our study uh, to come. And this was just some of the fruit of that, especially uh, from our study since we're in the book of Philippians. And so I hope it maybe clarified some issues even in your own mind, probably maybe didn't answer every question you might have. And that's okay. If you have a question, Please feel free to ask myself or Pastor Chris. Come and ask. Bring your questions to us, and, uh, and we will seek to answer them according to God's word. You are dismissed.